Thank you very much uh, to all of the testifiers. Uh, I'll now turn to the Vice Chair, uh, Senator Murkowski. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, I, I join you in, in thanks and appreciation. I think that this was, a, this was a good overview of these areas that are so important, everything from education to economy to, to uh, what is happening with agriculture, um, uh, clearly implementation of infrastructure, housing, these priorities have been, have been well articulated. So I appreciate what you have shared with, with the committee. Um, Ms. Bromeo, I want to drill down on some of the specifics because you were very succinct in providing us four suggestions, and um, what I particularly like is I think that they are imminently achievable. Certainly things like being able to submit compliance reports um, by utilizing mail rather than than online, which we know in far too many of our Alaska Native uh, communities and, and in so many parts of Indian country. Uh, broadband is still not where we want it to be, despite our good infrastructure bill. Um, and, and then reporting annually rather than quarterly when we acknowledge just what it takes to, to meet these compliance requirements. So I, I thank you for that. You, you noted the, um, uh, the um, priority for making consortium applications eligible. And I think you've, you've hit on something that is, is really key to us in recognizing that AFN and other tribal consortia make use of economies of scale to ensure that some of the smallest villages, which oftentimes have absolutely the highest need, can benefit, but they simply lack that capacity, the, the, the resources. Um, you've shared how you think, um, uh, for instance, in, in reporting annually rather than quarterly, that that's a demonstrated benefit. Can you expand a little bit more for the committee on, on why the federal government really needs to focus on recognizing this power of tribal designation in the administration of, of some of these infrastructure programs? Koyana for the question, Vice Chairman um, Murkowski. The basic tenet and central to federal Indian law is recognizing the inherent tribal self-governance and native self-determination powers of our tribes. And when they make a designation as to who or how they would like to receive a particular federal benefit, the federal government should, absent um, some very serious concerns, um, for lack of a better word, allow that tribe to receive the benefit in the manner that it sees fit. And consortium application is a smart way of making sure that all of the resources that this committee has worked so hard to achieve and see in our communities will actually get there. And as long as the organization, whether it be AFN or any throughout Indian country or in the islands, is administering the grant program correctly, the tribe should be able to utilize that as an opportunity to receive the benefit. And um, having implemented these programs now for two and a half years, I can assure you that the audit requirements are stringent, that the federal program officers are on the ball and doing their job. We have regular check-ins with ours. Um, and 
also, though, that broadband is a significant portion of a grant application and compliance as well. It takes me and AFN's federal program officer for the NTIA Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program report about an hour and a half um, to work on certain aspects of our compliance. And that's two attorneys with high-speed broadband. I can't imagine if Josh, um, our standing horse, who is our FPO for NTAI, was having to do this with 74 tribes spread out from Utiavik to Unalaska all the way down to Saxman. It would be impossible. It would be an administrative burden that would be too heavy a load to bear. Thank you for that. And I, I, I so appreciate um, gleaning from, from what AFN and others have done some of the lessons learned here um, because we need to be paying attention to that. I want to turn to you quickly, Mr. Lozano. Um, uh, we have heard that we're seeing some delays in BIA realty, realty um, service. It's impacting home construction projects on some of our native allotments um, in, in rural Alaska and in parts of the state that are just desperate for housing. Um, where, where can federal agencies like HUD and BIA look to streamline their, their realty process? And, and is, it, is it just in simplifying the approval process? What needs to be done here? Thank you for the question, uh, Senator Murkowski. And also, I, before I answer that question, I also would like to thank Senator uh, Schatz, Chairman uh, and Vice Chair uh, Murkowski, uh, for your support and constant champion work for Nahasda. And uh, we truly appreciate that and all the hard work you have done, and other committee members as well. So, as you know, BIA is still a slow process. Mm -hmm. And um, Senate uh, Bill uh, 70, I think, is a perfect solution, a fix for um, that came out of the committee that will help BIA process uh, and put pressure on them to process any request sooner and, and uh, anything uh, along that nature. And I think it, uh, by making the BIA be more transparent with tribes, home buyers and lenders about where they are in the process will be a help um, as well. And uh, as uh, transparency always increases accountability. So transparency and SB 70, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Senator Cortez Masto. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and the ranking member. I, I too agree, this is a great panel and great start uh, for um, this Congress. Thank you all for being here, um, an important conversation. Mr. Frias, uh, first of all, let me just say thank you. Thank you for highlighting a piece of legislation that uh, I have introduced. Um, and I wanna talk a little bit about this because this legislation um, to me was something that, sitting down with the tribes just in Nevada, we had focused on how we could look at and really address economic development for so many of our tribes, not just Nevada, but across the country by looking at the tax code. And so one of the things I'm interested in, Mr. Frias, is this restriction because of the language essential government function. So in particular, if you don't mind, I would love for you to discuss the importance of repealing that language, essential government function test for tribes. Um, listen, according to Brookings, who's taken a look at this, state governments issue a total of $47 billion every year in non-taxable municipal bonds for infrastructure. Tribes, because of this restriction, issue less than $90 million a year. Um, so uh, everyone on the committee knows this is an issue. Uh, would you touch on that a little bit and how it would make a difference? Just by repealing this, it would be for the tribes and their economic development.
Thank you, Senator, for that question. Um, you know, eliminating the essential governmental function test, which is an arbitrary test that prevents tribes from using tax-exempt bonds for the same type of activities that state and, and local governments use them for, right? For It would allow us to use general tax-exempt bonds for convention facilities, for hotels, for other things, golf courses, you know. So all we're really asking for when we look at this is for parity, for tribal governments to be treated the same as state governments. Um, that greater flexibility, it promotes uh, tribal self-determination, which is completely in line with the, the trust responsibility. Um, it's, it is a big hurdle for tribal governments, um, and I think that what you highlight is, is the amount to which these taxes and bonds are used by state and local governments. You know, we can see a much greater uptake um, from tribal governments. If, if we look at an example of the tribal economic development bonds, which didn't have this restriction in it, and, and the, when it was first put out of the pilot program, the cap was very quickly reached by tribes, so clearly there's a need uh, and a desire for, on the part of tribes for this sort of financing. Thank you. Thank you. And then you also talked about new market tax credits. Um, and uh, I just want to touch on this because another part of my uh, the, the tribal tax parity bill that I've introduced, um, it, it provides a tribal set-aside of $175 million for the new markets tax credit. Historically, we've seen a very low share uh, of the tax credit allocation going to tribal lands. What are the barriers uh, for tribal participation in the new markets tax credit program? Um, and how do you think a, a, a direct tribal set-aside would help? You know, I, I really appreciate that you included that in your legislation because I think it is really important. Since 2018, there have been no allocations for, uh, from the CDFI fund to entities dedicated 100% to working in Indian country. Numerous stakeholders that I've uh, talked to attribute this to a lack of understanding of Indian country on the part of the CDFI fund within the CDFI fund itself. A set-aside would ensure that the funds are going to entities that work in Indian country, have a familiarity with Indian country, and understand the unique status of tribes, you know, rather than entities which just express an interest in working in Indian country, but have no experience. Don't understand the particularities, uh, you know, the, the importance of tribal law, the ways in which tribal lands are held, which can vary. It's very different in Alaska than it is down here in the lower 48. So a set-aside would, would make new market tax credits much more available to Indian country. And I appreciate that. Thank you. And I would offer to my colleagues to, to join me. It's the Native American Tax Parity and Relief Act. And we've all been talking about the needs for our tribal communities and the resources that are essential. I think part of this is giving them parity to develop their own resources through economic development. Uh, parity with the states, parity with local governments to be able to do so. That gives them uh, the autonomy that we are talking about, trying to provide essential resources and everything that we've just talked about here. Um, to, to at least change the tax code to give them some sort of parity uh, in this space as well. So thank you all for being here. I appreciate it, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Senator Mullen. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much. Sorry if I disturbed everybody a while ago, but I really stuck my foot in my mouth, my mouth back there and everybody was laughing at me. Uh, I'm sure no one ever has ever done that before, but that was truly me. Uh, Ms. Zintek, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, as a fellow Oklahoma, I just want to tell you I, I appreciate it. Your, your, your rich history in serving our communities, uh, Potawatomi, um, the, the citizens, I think you guys had 38,000 enrollees and, uh, and now working all the way as, as president, I just, listen, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You know, working with education, uh, the way that you do, your heart, your passion for it, 
Um, you are the expert at this, and I think Indian Country is is very blessed to have you representing our kids and our educators. So, so thank you. With that being said, uh, I'd like you to take an opportunity to explain the unique challenges that you have with education in in Indian Country uh, when it comes to funding and when it comes to especially native languages. It's something that's near and dear to our heart. I think Cherokee Nation has done a phenomenal job on immersion. Um, my first trip with Don Young was to Alaska, and we dealt with uh, we went to, to different towns, working with uh, different entities, trying to figure out how to keep us from losing our native languages because there's no place in the country where we're literally losing native languages faster than Alaska right now, and it's a challenge because that's that's our history, right? That's our heritage. That's how we tell our stories. So, can you speak to a little bit about that? Absolutely, miigwech for that opportunity and for those words. Um, it's absolutely a huge issue within um, indigenous communities to relearn or reclaim um, our native language, especially for dispersed tribes like the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, um, the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma is certainly leading the way in that effort. Um, I had an opportunity yesterday evening to meet Ms. Feeling, um, the wife of the late Mr. Durbin Feeling, so wow. very grateful for the Durbin Feeling and the NALRC legislation that's been recently passed. But I think the challenges are certainly reaching our tribal citizens throughout the nation and the world. Um, but these, these, two, um, these two laws are great first steps. I'm really eager to hear how, to see how Durban Feeling will um, do the assessment to know where, uh, where programs are residing and what is being successful so that we can model those throughout the rest of Indian country. So of course, more funding in that area and, and, and continued funding in that area is helpful. Um, and then the, the center bringing together those resources and making those relationships that again, we can learn from each other, we can collaborate, um, and then continuing to bring uh, these experts to the table so that uh, we can make sure to follow their lead, these language experts, these elders, these people who have dedicated their lives to language learning. They are the ones that should be, um, we should be following their lead. All right, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, Ms. Lawrence, um, do, you, do you believe that um, uh, 368 contracting can apply to USDA's FISA inspections for tribal beef processing facilities? Talk. I think it could, definitely. Um, just anything that that allows our tribal communities to to handle their you know their business <laughs> would be um, is super helpful. Um, just seeing all of the opportunities that come forward with self governance and and taking a look at what's um, what's really needed, I think would just help shape what is actually needed in that in, in the community. So yes, I see opportunity there for sure. So if, if tribes could perform their own inspections, what specifically do you think that Congress needs to do in the next farm bill to, to help promote this? That specifically? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, right now we have Cherokee Nation. Uh, we have uh, the Qualpaws. Mm -hmm. um, Help me here. Creek, Creek, Creek. Yeah, Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the only three that's doing it right. There's now. four. Four. Mm -hmm. Which one am I missing? Do you know? Anyways. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> no. This is what happens when you don't read your questions. You're kind of going <laughs> off the cuff here. But it, it, there's a good opportunity because we don't have enough. We don't have enough inspectors, anyways. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. It's prohibitive. Mm 
-hmm. And uh, it's a unique opportunity where, uh, where tribes could help fill that gap. Mm -hmm. And since we have to do a farm bill this year, as we have to, I, I see it as a great opportunity for us to do it. And maybe that's an area that Ms. Lawrence, you and I, and whoever else would like to work for us, work on it with us, could come up with specific language to help and to help put in there to advance true sovereignty. Absolutely. And and economic growth in our backyard. Yes, um, we're very interested in that, and would love to work with you. Um, on coming up with some language to include that in the farm bill. We're actually going to be having a, a fly-in at the end of this month to all four of those facilities in Oklahoma, and um, I welcome you to come come along, but um, we'll be working on that. At the end of this month? Yes. Thanks for the notice. Appreciate that. <laughs> maybe maybe we can work on I that. I think we'll we see might we have invited if, you. If, oh, <laughs> I'm probably here then. Yeah. Uh, if Let's see if my my staff could be there. We That's would perfect. like to be there. We'd like to make, participate in it. If I can't personally, I definitely want to my, my, make sure my team's part of it. Perfect. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Senator Mullen. Thanks to all of the testifiers. Um, I'm uh, Just a couple of comments before we move on. seems to me there's consensus on the committee that we need to uh, collect our thoughts and our proposals, and I mean on the committee as well as the expert uh, witnesses, and come up with some discrete proposals for the Farm Bill. So mm -hmm. let's do that together uh, with staff. And then in the category of grants uh, implementation, I think there's some work to do. So I'm gonna uh, start uh, my question on grants with, with, um, with um, Chair Lindsay. Um, Native Hawaiians are now eligible for more money than ever, um, but it's, it's the problem of knowing where to look and how to apply, and then you've just bought yourself uh, something that you have to execute and may make you subject to audit. So is there any thought uh, for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs to serve as a resource to uh, other Native Hawaiian organizations to identify these grant opportunities? Thank you, Senator, for asking the question and prompting supportive and collaborative strategies and solutions. I offer three points for the committee's consideration. First, promote a community-based mindset of collaborative versus competitive funding. This can look like facilitating a organizations with more federal funding process and reporting experiences, kako'o or support less experienced organizations to meet the front office, which is the prospecting, alignment, collaboration, application writing, implementation reporting, and back office, the responsibilities and accountabilities, for example, the operations, accounting, reporting, program evaluation, human resources, payroll, in what we describe as a kaikuana, or the older sibling, or kaikaina, the younger sibling relationship, or B, the creation and or funding of shared services organizations or functions that can provide not only application of front office and back office grant related supports. Second, federally funded um, technical assistance contracts via institutions of higher learning that specifically require recipients to assist community organizations with the federal grant opportunities opportunity supports. For example, prospecting, alignment, collaboration, application writing, implementation, reporting, 
Communities are often frustrated by colleges or universities who have faculty and or staff writing for grants that do not support surrounding community-based organizations and programs. OHA could facilitate community-based relationships and collaborations with the University of Hawaii system. We have three campuses and seven community colleges and community programming. And third, Leverage OHA's state agency status as a conduit for federal funding to reach Native Hawaiian communities more directly via subcontracting and or subgranting processes. Utilization of OHA as a conduit could mitigate duplicative or minimize administrative or overhead costs across federal grantor sources. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to get to, um, you know, between the Inflation Reduction Act, some of the COVID relief funds, uh, and of course the IIJA. There's a lot of money, new money for, for, for Native people out there. Um, and Congress decided to make Native communities, to make tribes and Alaska Natives and Native Hawaiians eligible, right? But a lot of times we use an existing statutory structure and just added who was eligible. The problem is, there's an old saying in, in Hawaii, um, when you're talking to certain people in the government, they say, I don't care who wrote the law, I write the rules. And, um, and so we're left with this problem of sort of legacy rules and architecture and processes so that it's fine that you're technically eligible, but the way these processes roll out are basically a series of roadblocks. And so, I'm going to ask this question of all of you for the record, um, because I think it does apply to everybody in every category, ag, housing, finance. But I'm going to start with Mr. Frias. Could you just give me one example of the extent to which Congress's explicit intent to make Native communities eligible is being thwarted by uh, people who, in good faith, you know, were working over in Treasury and now are being told, accommodate the tribes. And they don't even know how to do that. But I think what we need is a lot of information about that because there are a lot of knots to untangle. There are, there's a lot of troubleshooting to do, but we need to know where this is happening so that we can exercise our oversight responsibility and frankly give the information to the White House, either Mitch Landrieu or John Podesta or whoever is point person on implementing these laws so they can go into those agencies, burrow in and say, Congress made a law here. You have to not make it impossible for, their, for them to participate. Sorry for the long question, but go ahead. Thank you, Chairman Schatz, for the, for the question. And if I, can, uh, if I can, I'll give you two quickly. You know, one would be the example I gave of, of the confusion that's been created uh, uh, on the loan programs office in the Department of Energy, right? That, that I don't believe it's in the statute, but there's this confusion about whether tribes can access this money, $20 billion in the IRA, uh, if they're receiving other federal funding, I don't believe that was at all your intent, but when, when the regulations are written and it comes down, there's, this, there's this, this restriction. And another example would be related to the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, another large pot of money specifically mentioning CDFIs, but CDFIs won't be able to, under the guidance that was recently released, they're, they're gonna put out two, I believe, uh, uh, large grants. They're, they're gonna be much larger than, than the CDFIs, which the native CDFIs are gonna be able to handle, um, whereas clearly, the intention was to, to spread this money around and get it into a lot of local entities that are closer to the problem. And, and so those are good examples of how Congress has expressed their intent. And then when the regulations are drafted and, and it gets out there, there's, 
there's confusion and the intent of Congress is not expressed. Please, um, two things. Uh, uh, all of you, please get back to us uh, with examples of this um, because I don't want this to be an abstraction. I want us to have a list of problems to troubleshoot on your behalf. And I want to be able to hand over a list to Mitch Landrieu and John Podesta and the Office of Legislative Affairs at the White House so that they can go in there. Because I don't think that they're, it's in their interest to have Congress's intent or President Biden's intent thwarted. It's just that people have been doing the same thing for a very long time. They are now being given a new mandate to accommodate and they don't even know how that would go, uh, that they would go about doing that. So we really need this information as quickly as possible and I'm, I'm quite sure we can follow up on a bipartisan basis. Senator Daines, are you ready? I'm ready. Senator Daines. Chairman Schatz, Vice, Pre Vice Chairman Murkowski, thank you. I want to first welcome uh, fellow Montanan, Carrie Jo Lawrence, welcome from uh, uh, Billings, Executive Director of the Intertribal Ag Council. My mom and dad grew up in Billings. My dad married the girl next door from Billings, and my dad's an old Billings senior Bronx, so I feel like we're uh, right Fantastic. back at home today. Yeah, great. Um, it's also great to have a strong voice for agriculture uh, tribes, those that are driving our number one economic driver in Montana, which is mm -hmm. ag, so thank you. Uh, my top priorities for this Congress are some of the top issues facing Montanans. It's increasing public safety, uh, bolstering tribal sovereignty, and passing the last Indian water rights settlement in the state. I've helped lead the effort to finalize long-standing water compacts, and I look forward to getting the job done now for the Fort Belknap community. The CSKT compact took years years of work, in fact, decades of work, and a lot of negotiation. Fort Belknap will likewise take a lot of negotiation. There'll be long nights to ensure that the tribe, the counties, the local landowners, water users, and the governor of Montana can stand side by side in support. We must stay focused on the mission and pass a well-crafted bill that makes good on our promises to Indian country and Montana as a whole. I look forward to taking that, uh, that settlement to the, to the next level. Uh, public safety has been a top priority of mine for years, and yet I continue to hear the same concerns from our tribes. Mm -hmm. I've written countless letters, nothing changes. The BIA expects us to just provide them with more funding, and the tribes see no difference on the ground. We need to empower our tribes, give them the reins, let them control their law enforcement instead of throwing money at BIA and just hoping it might stick. Putting Washington, D.C. in charge of public safety is the last thing we should be doing. Today, Congress is voting on a massive bipartisan rebuke, a repudiation against D.C.'s far-left pro-crime agenda. And I know the leaders back in Indian country in Montana see clearly the solutions are not here in Washington, D.C. They're in Browning. They're in Crow Agency. They're in Poplar. They're in Lame Deer. They're in Harlem. I look forward to continuing to work with Montana tribes to craft a bill that will finally put our tribes first. As sovereign nations, they should be first in defining how they address the issues of crime and the enforcement of the law. 
Ms. Lawrence, I want to thank you again for coming to discuss important tribal issues and related to agriculture. It's our top economic driver in Montana. Mm -hmm. This farm bill is a chance to increase tribal participation in programs and continue to bolster food security and economic prosperity in tribal communities. Likewise, mm -hmm. expanding the good neighbor authority and supporting active forest management and public grazing will increase forest and wildlife health and better protect our communities from catastrophic wildfire. Uh, Ms. Lawrence, what actions should Congress be taking to support Montana and other ag producing tribes in this year's Farm Bill? Thank you for the question. And um, first of all, I think authorizing that the 638 authorities um, compacting and contracting over feeding programs, I think in Indian country, and including SNAP, I think that would be an amazing step. Um, Congress can eliminate the dual use prohibition that currently keeps feeding program participants from addressing, accessing both programs at the, in the same month for FDIPR. Um, FDIPR is the only feeding program where there is a dual use in, in prohibition. Um, authorized by Indian Act that prioritizing, prioritizes purchasing food in Indian country for their feeding programs for tribal producers. That would be a strong economic driver. Um, authorize greater flexibilities uh, in vendor requirements so we can ensure tribal producers can provide food to their communities while being fairly compensated for the products they are providing. Um, also, extend Indian hiring preferences to USDA so that Native perspectives and lived experience are part of the, of the federal uh, program delivery for all of those programs. And of course, the consultation is definitely a certain, it's just, it's needed so much. And um, substantive tribal input is critical. And I think that can be accomplished by authorizing tribes to identify their uh, resource concerns on tribal lands, for example. And so delineating tribal set-asides within specific programs, so it's really reaching Tribal lands and tribal folks, uh, those are some first steps for so, sure. It's a lot of great input. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, as I wrap up, President Holsey, your virtual quick question. Uh, this gets back to the issue of maintaining your own police and public safety as a sovereign territory. President Holsey, how do we embolden tribes to get BIA and DC out of the way? Um, thank you, Senator Daines, for that question. I know exceedingly there are multiple uh, uh, challenges, especially with tribal police uh, forces, especially many like my own that are cross-deputized. And um, we seek parity also to stabilize. Um, currently, we have exceeding challenges with retaining our police force because tribal nations are not eligible um, for pension plans and other, other things that would be in parallel to other police officers. So it is a revolving door. So I know that there is a tribal parity bill and um, we are seeking um, support for that because it, it would, would be exceedingly important to stabilize that. For our tribal nation, we probably, um, we are a force of seven, but having to retrain and retain consistently creates significant barriers in our tribal nations. And I know we are one of 11 tribal nations in the state of Wisconsin. And in my region, there are 35 
tribal nations in the Midwest. And I know that this has exceedingly been one of those issues. So we are seeking that parity. Great. President Holsley, thank you. Chairman Schatz, appreciate it. Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. One of my top priorities as Congress is advancing the Native American Voting Rights Act. And I welcome everyone to come to the table to make this possible. Ms. Baremo, did I say that correct? Good enough for government work. Well, how many pronounce it correctly? Borromeo. Borromeo. Yes or no, does the Alaska Federation of Natives agree that passage and enactment of the Native American Voting Rights Act should be a priority for Congress? Thank you for the question, Senator. And yes, we do. It's one of our priorities. Our number one priority, though, is implementation of this once-in-a-lifetime investment. Why is it important? Which one, sir? The Native American Voting Rights Act. Oh, thank you. Um, we have a long, detailed history of discrimination and disenfranchisement when it comes to making sure that we receive equitable access to the ballot box. And several of the provisions in NAVRA remove those barriers and allow our people to exercise our right to vote on par with the rest of the country. Um, we've been working very closely with both the Native American Rights Fund, National Congress of American Indians, and then, of course, internally in Alaska with most of our um, tribes and Native corporations and tribal nonprofits to make sure that the provisions are tailored to Alaska and that they work for Alaska. So um, we would like to see that piece of legislation move as well this Congress. I appreciate that, and I, I also am grateful that when we worked with you and with others to help build this, um, we were blessed that it initially received bipartisan support as well. And so I'm hopeful that we can find a path forward to get this done. Uh, another one of my priorities is ensuring that every tribe, especially those without broadband, can access funding Congress provides for that purpose, including the NTIA Tribal Broadband Connectivity Fund. Um, I'm focused in providing digital equity for tribes and as one part of your testimony, which stood out to me, yes or no, is it true that applications for NTIA's tribal broadband funds can only be submitted electronically? Thank you for the question, Senator. It is true that originally that was their intent. They did come around at the end of round one and were submitting some, um, were accepting some submissions via mail, but it was very late in the process. Where we did see the bigger hang-up with that, um, Senator, is on the Treasury's Capital Projects Fund side, which one of the stated purposes is to advance broadband in unserved or underserved areas, and you could only apply for the allocation, which was a formula allocation, non-competitive, through the Internet. I appreciate that, Madam Vice Chair. That, that's where my head is. Um, that's incredible. But I'm, I'm hoping everyone watching can fix what needs to be fixed. And I appreciate what NTIA has done, but more must be done. Thank you for that powerful testimony as well. Um, how would you recommend NTIA change their process so that areas with zero connectivity can still apply for broadband funds, um, even with this change, or Treasury Department? Thank you again for that question, Senator Lujan. Um, honestly, the recommendation is to keep doing what they're doing. NTIA has been one of the more responsive 
agencies out there. When AFN comes and highlights a um, hurdle, they have worked diligently to remove that hurdle. Um, of course, we wish they would move a little bit quicker um, in issuing some of the programs, digital equity being one of them. But we also understand that this administration of these funds is a Herculean task and that they're doing the best that they can. Um, where I always um, point members of Congress and other administrative officials is over to the Department of Treasury. Um, Fatima Abbas has been elevated to a permanent position in the Office of Native American Recovery, and she is a superstar. If we could clone her and send her out into the rest of the agencies, I'm confident that um, all of the laws as you enacted them and the spirit in which they were enacted will be implemented I, in no time I, flat. I agree with your assessment. I appreciate that testimony. Mr. Frias, um, with your testimony, um, you um, uh, talked about um, easements and approvals um, as it pertains to infrastructure. Um, Mr. Frias, yes or no, would you support legislation to require the Bureau of Indian Affairs to maintain a national database of all rights of way on tribal lands to allow tribes to access records from their homelands? Thank you, Senator Lujan, and, and although I live in Maryland now, it's always a pleasure to see my New Mexico delegation. Uh, yes, absolutely, and I would hope the legislation would also return authority to tribal governments to approve right of ways, leases, and permits on their own lands. I appreciate that, and Mr. Chairman, Mr. Madam Vice Chair, I, I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but I'm certainly hopeful that we can find a path forward. I often share the um, story of a bridge in Manuelito in the Navajo Nation where there was uh, this horrific storm that came in, uh, declaration of disaster was issued, FEMA awarded the money, and then BIA wouldn't give the, approve the easement. The money was lost, the money was recaptured, but it took 12 years. People had to drive miles and miles to get to school, kids. Um, fire engines couldn't get to emergencies, but it's what I fear that could happen to these infrastructure projects um, as well. And then, Mr. Chairman, if I may just on a note of personal privilege, Mr. Frias, I hope you and I can speak about another issue, the Traditional Use Act, which is a piece of legislation I've been working on for 13 years. Um, uh, we, uh, we, can, we can visit later, but it's a piece of legislation that encourages harmony and bringing people together. And I know that you wrote um, an email to the House Natural Resources Committee um, telling them of your opposition. We've never spoken about it. Uh, so I hope we can chat about this. Um, and uh, it's a piece of legislation that embedded in it, it, it says that it, ha it will not infringe upon Native American rights uh, at all. No sovereign rights. So I'm hoping that we can address this. It's a New Mexico issue. Um, it's an issue where it's families that live with each other, work with each other, often married to one another. And I'm certainly hopeful that we can find a way to ensure that communities that don't have lobbyists, that don't have financial means, that are often run over by the federal government, this sounds familiar, can get a little support. Uh, and I'm hoping that we can chat about that in the near future. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I look forward to speaking with you about that, Senator. Senator Hoven. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Hosley, um, I want to talk to you about uh, the uh, the crime, uh, you know, and uh, victims on on the reservation. What we can do to to mitigate crime on the reservation. Um, we uh, since actually since I was chairman of this committee, I've been working to advance the Survive Act, which would set aside five percent of the uh, the crime victims fund 
to be allocated uh, directly to tribes. And so I continue to do it to make sure that we're doing an ad adequate job of funding law enforcement uh, and uh, protection and uh, assistance for victims. Um, but I would like to know what steps you think Congress can take and this committee uh, should take to better address public safety um, on the reservation, particularly for women and children. Thank you for that question, Senator Hoven. And as a committee co-chair of VAWA, I appreciate that. And uh, to your point, uh, safety and wellness of our citizens transacts many departments, not from law enforcement to social services and the protections, um, especially with the most recent reauthorization of VAWA. But it also requires uh, cooperation of multi-federal uh, multi agencies in order to uh, share communications across the board. And um, as you know, especially as it relates to violence against women or human trafficking and other issues that many tribal nations contend with, it's um, cross-jurisdictional, it intercedes sometimes across state lines and sometimes internationally. And, and it requires immediate response to that. So having the ability to have those interpols of communication through uh, multi-jurisdictional law enforcement agencies as well as other federal agencies is exceedingly helpful. And to your point, making sure that there are set-asides or uh, specific resources to help us. Um, sharing data, especially uh, uh, creates a level of safety because it has a more timely response to somebody that is in, in danger or who is missing or who is um, unaccounted for. Um, as many as many of you know, there is an erasure issue that is among um, tribal nations and we have citizens that have been uh, missing uh, for centuries sometimes. And, and so now there is a more robust um, uh, attempt to try to start to resolve. But I appreciated um, Chairman Schatz's uh, sentiment at the beginning of the, uh, the hearing where he said no decisions about us. And, and so it requires robust consultation with tribal nations because tribal nations are not monolithic. Um, they have uniqueness to jurisdiction issues and their own tribal governed laws. And so I would say that would be a robust start in that inclusion and consultation as to how to resolve these issues and bring safety to our tribal nations. Yeah, that's a good point. There's incredible diversity among the 700 plus reservations across uh, the United States. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that, but that's a really strong point. Another thing that we've worked on and are working on diligently is more BIA law enforcement officers. There's a shortage. Uh, we've worked to set up additional Training, for example, we have a, a BIA law enforcement center uh, at Camp Grafton in uh, North Dakota to help recruit and train BIA law enforcement officers. Um, I'm uh, co-sponsoring with Senator Cortez Masto, the bridging agency uh, and uh, ensuring safety for Native Communities Act, badges we call it. Um, I've worked with uh, Senator Udall uh, on some of these uh, initiatives, and, and so the work continues. Um, this legislation would allow BIA to do their own background checks. Uh, do you have any ideas on what else we can do working with tribes to recruit and get more people into these BIA law enforcement positions? I think it, it takes it's going to take um, uh, an entire look at even the structure of how uh, offices are compensated and how that looks. I know oftentimes, even with uh, different agency partners, even with the challenges most recently with, uh, you know, the secretary of IHS in terms of Rosalind Sow 
So in, in terms of the weight, you know, when you look at the parity of the wage and the, the, the significant job that you're asking people to, to adhere to, it oftentimes is looking at the compensation structures and how that works um, and making sure, as I previously stated, even just for tribal nations to find necessarily, not necessarily interior uh, police officers, but tribal uh, mm -hmm. police officers. And in my instance, cross-deputized cross police officers is just as a stabilizing endeavor and making sure that there is parity even to, because sometimes right now we are in competition with our local county in our state to retain tribal officers because we are unable to provide um, police officers with a pension and this and the things that they should be entitled to like any other officer that serves and protects any jurisdiction. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's one of the things we are trying to get more flexibility in wages and uh, incentives to recruit. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you to the chairman and ranking member for holding this hearing. Thanks to all of you for being here and for your work. I appreciate it. Senator Murkowski for some closing remarks. Well, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Um, I thought that this was good input from those who are testifying today. Um, I, I, I would like to, to continue this hearing in a way that is not hearing-based, but uh, an ask, not only for those that are, are testifying, but for those that have been listening. Um, we're looking for lessons learned. We are looking for um, uh, an identification of those continuing barriers that um, allow or, or, or prohibit um, uh, our, our tribes and uh, our, our organizations to, to move forward and, and, and freely access, whether it's the infrastructure funds, um, whether it's other funds that are available, programs that we have put in law. This committee is is an oversight committee. We, we, we put into, we're the authorizing committee that, that puts programs, whether it's NAHASDA or whatever the program may be, we need to know where things are working. So what you have laid out in terms of a challenge, Mr. Mr. Chairman, I think is, is really important here. We want those examples. And I think it was very telling when, uh, when Senator uh, Lujan raised his example of, of the bridge when uh, Nicole raised her example of, of the broadband application. And every one of us had uh, a reaction of, you gotta be kidding me. So I think we need to have a category of stories where you can submit to the committee that you gotta be kidding me stories. Because you all know different, different situations where you've looked at it, you know what's going on, and, and it's gotten to the point where nobody can defend what is actually happening here. Those are the things that I think, Mr. Chairman, you, you're, you're a guy who likes to fix things. But in order for us to really fix things, the more, the more detailed that, that uh, we can get the, the, the issues, the better we're able to rattle some cages here and actually fix them. And I'd look forward to doing that with you. So thank you. I look forward to the, you gotta be kidding me, portal. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Vice Chair. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, I think there's sometimes a tendency not to want to come to members of Congress, United States Senators, members of the Indian Affairs Committee with small stuff, right? And there's also a tendency on the committee to wanna do you know, big authorizing legislation, landmark stuff 
the kind of stuff that when you retire, you can say, I passed this bill, right? But we are in a phase now where um, strategy is execution. And um, having been a professional nonprofit executive for, for the earlier part of my career and doing some of those grant applications, I understand that, you know, this stuff can be hard or this stuff can be easy. So I guess my encouragement is, yes, get us information and do so as quickly as possible. But also don't be afraid to ask for a small favor, not a big one, um, because sometimes it's just a nudge of an agency to undo a silly decision. Um, and we can all benefit from the laws that we've already passed. So um, if there are no further questions for our witnesses, members may also submit follow-up written questions for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks. And I want to thank all of the witnesses for their time and their testimony. This hearing is adjourned.